Welcome to the Fed Heads, a weekly podcast from Grant Thornton Public Sector. Join the Fed Heads, Robert Shea and Francis Rose, each week to talk about the arcana of government management and the people who are working hard every day to improve it. Welcome to episode 65. I'm Francis Rose. And I'm Robert Shea. Cybersecurity and privacy are two things that are oftentimes thought about as at odds with each other. Is that fair to say? It is. That's right. So it's hard to protect privacy if you don't have adequate cybersecurity. So, the, yes, that intersection is what we're going to talk about on the program I'm today. Captain at, Obvious here with at, you today. <laughs> <laughs> Nicely done, though. Thank you. I mean, I, I was just kind of rolling with That's it. Good. So good on you. Adam Sedgwick is Senior Advisor at the National Institute of Standards and Technology, here to discuss these topics. Great to see you, Adam. Thanks for coming. Yeah, thanks for having me. What would you say is that intersection, and do you agree with that observation I made that for a, lot of time, for a long time people thought that they were kind of on parallel tracks and yeah. never the twain shall meet? I think that's right. Often it's seen as parallel tracks, and often data security is substituted for privacy. So the way that we think about it is a Venn diagram with data security being in the middle. A this, lot is, uh, this is on radio, just so you know. <laughs> oh, got it, got it. I wasn't drawing it, but imagine a Venn diagram. Please don't have to guess, <laughs> okay? Please. Picture, if you will, a Venn diagram. <laughs> Essentially, if you don't have a data security program, you're not going to have a privacy program. If you can't protect your data or say what's happening to it. But then there's this gray area, which is all about authorized uses of data. And how do you manage that and how do you measure that is something that, that we've been focused on a lot lately. Some of our previous work went to looking at some of the risks and opportunities with privacy, with, with security, right? Where are the places that you can look for? Where are the places that you might be inadvertently introducing privacy risk into your organization because of the things you're doing cybersecurity, mm-hmm. right? An obvious one is how do you monitor your employees or even your customers, um, but then there are a lot of really big open questions about that, that other part of the Venn diagram that um, we're really trying to do some foundational work to, to help manage and measure and, and help organizations think about those other authorized uses of data. The nature of technology advances, it seems, traditionally in an upward arc. We get better technology and it becomes more secure because of those advances in technology. Privacy is the opposite direction. It's easier for people to find out information about me. I, I Googled my phone number my, the other day and was amazed at how much detail people could find out about me right. instantly. My son doesn't even really think about privacy. He's 19. He doesn't think about it for that exact reason. He was aware of what's available about him and what's available about me, and it doesn't seem to bother him the right. way that it bothers me. And he said, why does that bother you, Dad? And I couldn't really give him a good reason. Well, if I could add to that, yeah. the, the number of breaches, the amount of personally identifiable information that's already been accessed on most Americans, right. to what extent do we have a reasonable expectation of privacy today? Right. Well, so I think, right. So I Getting think, pretty deep. Yeah. Getting pretty deep. Well, early. I wasn't sure if it was an existential <laughs> question or a direct question to ask. Right. So, so people's perceptions of privacy are constantly evolving, and technology is changing that quite a bit. Um, and it's not always one-to-one. I mean, there's a lot of information that was per- perhaps always publicly available, but you had to go to the local courthouse to get that material. And people were aware that you could get it, but, um, but now it's on the Internet for everyone to see. I mean, when I worked on, on – and Adam probably had this experience too, Adam Hughes um, – 
uh, but a lot of people did. When we were working on the Hill, there was uh, information on how much money we were making that you could go to the basement of the Capitol and find it out. Mm-hmm. And someone just decided to take all those books and put them on the Internet. So all of a sudden, that was information that was theoretically public, but then became public and ev- really public yeah. in, in a way that it wasn't before. The theory became yeah. real. <laughs> yeah. So that definitely changes things, but I think also um, there are a lot of applications of technology that are being held back for privacy concerns, and it's more of a fear of the unknown where people don't really know how to communicate what privacy protections are in there. And so that's kind of holding back some of this technology being implemented. And I think you know an example that we often use at NIST is smart meters, right? That was something that a lot of communities said, you know, not in my backyard, it's creepy, I don't know what people are going to do with all that information that they're going to have on me that was publicly available before. So it, it really sort of evolves. And there are also a lot of applications like in the retail environment that, that really like to implement, right, and, and really specialized information, but they don't know how to, how to put that into practice without letting people know what the privacy implications of that are going to be. So the National Institute of Standards and Technology is an agency of the Department of Commerce. Right. What does it have to do with all this? NIST is the technical arm of the Department of Commerce, we like to say. We're also, um, we're actually a national lab, but our focus is all on industry's needs. Our work in cybersecurity goes back about 40 years, and a lot of, a lot of what we're trying to do is help cultivate trust in technology. And also everything we have to do is focused on measurement. So we're, we're, we're a metrology agency. Um, what? Metrology. And so um, – Don't just repeat it. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to have to work with me here. Yeah, be sure. Nice Meet to me the guests, please. <laughs> please be nice to the guests. Right. So um, everything – we uh, metrology is measurement science. So we have, we have, we have uh, people that think about very advanced measurement when it comes in place to technology, but then we also have things like standard reference material that we sell for people. And every, every once in a while, it becomes noted on the Internet that the Department of Commerce through NIST is selling a $300 jar of peanut butter. And the reason why we do that is because it's standard reference material. So it's something been tested and, known, and is known to have the attributes of peanut butter. So if you have something and you want to test for contamination, then you can purchase that and compare it to it. We have a lot of those things that the use isn't really clear until it is. And so one example is we had soil samples that no one really thought much about. And then after the BP spill, it became very useful to have something to compare against to understand the impact that the spill had. Mm. Mesmerizing um, arcana. <laughs> it really is. Yeah. Well, and then our biggest project is the atomic clock, right? That's the one everyone knows. I live very close to there. And you would never guess just driving around the campus that what's going on in there is what's going on there. And I don't mean that from a conspiracy theorist kind of perspective. That sounds like something a conspiracy theorist might say, but it's just fascinating. It's a critical function that's yeah. making all of what we're using right here right. work. Right. So, yeah, I mean, all these devices are relying on encryption that we maintain through public-private partnership competition. Every time you see that little lock, it's, uh, it's, it's the cryptographers that help, to help make those transactions secure. So with technology, we have that role to help make to do these measurement-type things. 
And then I think what we're known really around the Beltway for is the work we've done under FISMA. Mm-hmm. So developing those standards and guidelines for federal information systems, the micro agency of your choice, the Morris K. Udall Scholarship Fund, all the way up to the Department of Treasury or the all critical functions. Right. Of the so yes. So if they need, if they're um, using technology, then they have to use NIST standards and guidelines when they bring that commercially off-the-shelf technology in to, to manage it. So that's kind of what we're known for around here. But then in recent years, because, you know, while you guys probably know as well as I do, the federal government is still the world's largest procurer of information technology. Increasingly, it's sort of a drop in the bucket as uh, with the commercialization of IT. So a lot of our programs are now more focused on um, industry's needs and, and developing these solutions for their purposes as well. Okay. And a lot of our privacy work goes to that, too. Another big mission area for NIST is identity management. What's the intersection between that? I know that's not necessarily your area of expertise, but what's the intersection there with privacy and cybersecurity? Oh, there's a big one. Yeah, I mean, and, and also I think um, one of the ways we're having to think of identity management is it used to be pretty much focused on individuals, and now it's more and more focused also on devices, mm-hmm. right, and attributes of devices. Is that easier or harder? It's probably easier, but I'd have to defer to some of the real experts Yeah, <laughs> just because of the complex notion of identity that individuals have. Mm-hmm. But there's a big intersection on pe- how people use the Internet, what the attributes are, and how some of those transactions can be privacy-enhancing. I mean, one, one example we, we use quite a bit in the privacy space is there's a lot of oversharing of personal information for transactions that aren't necessary, right, that technology can sort of solve. You know, Give me why, an example. Well, if I'm buying uh, movie tickets or if I'm buying something online that, and you need to verify that you're over a certain age, why do you have to provide uh, your driver's license that has your address on it? When can, can't there be a trusted intermediary that can help verify mm-hmm. that that person is who they say they are without having to share that information countless times? Why don't, You can just share the information that's relevant to that particular transaction instead of just pushing all that information out. And so a lot of the work we're doing in privacy, with security, all those things have been considered because with a system, you have, you know, confidentiality, integrity, and availability. In cybersecurity, those words are repeated all the time. That's what the system's trying to do. There isn't, that doesn't really exist in privacy. So in some ways, can we, can we make our devices in a way so that they're more privacy-enhancing? I was a member of the Commission on Evidence-Based Policymaking. Oh my gosh. You, you may be aware. I can't even, <laughs> the, uh, I can't even I believe you pulled that. <laughs> oh, of course you weren't. We we spent a lot of time on the, you know, the, one of the genesis of the commission was uh, improving the ability to share data sets yeah. uh, across jurisdictions. Right. And differential privacy was considered an advancement that could facilitate this. Right. This was ba- basically ensuring that you're sharing only those data elements necessary that when connected you could assess the effectiveness right. of a program. Right. That's one example of increasingly advanced techniques to protect privacy. What's your role in strengthening privacy so that we can improve data sharing? So I think data sharing of that type is becoming a lot more critical when you look at things like AI and um, also the amount of data that's being generated from IoT devices. 
And so some of our role is understanding how to... We're going to need a glossary when we post <laughs> this. <just saying. laughs> so, our, you know, AI, artificial intelligence. Yeah, I think, I, And IoT. Our listeners know. And other things, yeah. I think our role is, is trying to look at the system level and figure out for all of these different uses where you have principles and, and some of the... And, and with privacy and AI, often you're talking about these principles, these things that you want the systems to do. And so our role is to help, I think, underneath that, try to provide some of the measurement and the ability to define. And in some ways, some of our work, people like it because it just has that basic terminology. And so it has somewhere where you can start from so that we can better communicate, right? And that's the, the core practice of standards. But then underneath that, um, you know, with AI and privacy, there's a lot of talk about these principles. Well, that's great. So if we if we have an agreement around principles, then how do we show that organizations are helping to meet those principles? Mm. How do we measure it? And if you can't measure it, then you can't really manage it. So so I think that's where we step in, not by making the judgment calls about what any of these things look like that are good or bad. That's really up to the organizations that are implementing. But how do you provide them the tools so that they can try to meet those objectives a lot better? I'm really proud of the fact, Adam, that I think it's been now three episodes in a row that he hasn't mentioned the Commission on Evidence-Based <laughs> Policymaking. So I'll Turkey. cut you a little bit of slack, yeah. Commissioner. I appreciate it. Adam, thank you very much. We're really on the cutting edge of some important things, and we appreciate you coming and talking to us about them today. Of course. My pleasure. Really great window on NIST. Uh, it's an institution doing great service that too few know about. Mm-hmm. Nice thank to you. see you, Commissioner. <laughs> Good to see you. That sounded very sincere. Thanks for listening to The Fed Heads, brought to you by Grand Thornton Public Sector. All of the resources talked about during the episode are available in the episode description. We'd love to hear from you. Connect with us on Twitter at GT Public Sector to join the conversation. And don't forget to leave us a comment or review on iTunes or the Google Play Store. <laughs>